three. Didn't get there. Looked like Jamal Adams may have led the charge from his safety position. Two. The Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Welcome in to another edition of the Can't Wait podcast. Thanks for joining us either on YouTube Live, if you're checking us out there, or the podcast on The Athletic or Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for uh, rating and reviewing us, too. Uh, we love that. It helps us out as we try to grow this podcast uh, Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and our producer Marissa Morris. We'll get back to Operation Make Marissa an Influencer a little bit later in the show. Uh, lots to get to on this show. One week down, so we're going to talk about the MVP of week one for the Jets. We'll also talk about which unit, offense or defense, one week one. And of course, Sam Darnold. We always got to check in on the quarterback and how he's doing. But before we get to all that, Connor It's been a busy off day for you, and we need to talk about this a little bit because you ran a lot of errands today, and me and Marissa got the the play-by-play on text messages. You did. Just to give the listeners a... We basically got some insight into the life of Connor Hughes. Haircut, check. Oil change, check. Gym, check. Knocking it all out. These are the texts, though. Haircut at 920, oil change at 10. (laughs) I should be good for two. Then a little bit later, should be good for two, potentially 2.15, hitting the gym now. And then at 2 o'clock, you sent us a photo of your laptop restarting because it wasn't working and that was the blame. And that's why we're on at 2.30 and not 2.15 today. What do you got? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you pretty much it. I think the only thing that you didn't uh, throw in the mix there, which I forgot to text you guys, was I did do some Amazon returns. because nice. You probably for, walked the uh, dog too, right? No, but I got the dog bones. So okay. actually, walking in the dog is happening after this podcast. I was going to wait for the temperature to drop a little bit first. Uh, but no, we had uh, I had the gym, I had the returns that I had to do. That that was a big part of my day. Something I haven't been able to do yet. I did make the bed, which is always a thing that I do because I know when Bree comes home from work, all pissed off. At least if when she comes in and walks into the bedroom to change, if the bed is made, it kind of checks off one less thing, and she can be pissed off at me for. So I, I made the bed, got the got my returns done because I had these massive binoculars. Uh, yeah, got a chance to go to the gym, which was kind of cool. I've been I've been enjoying being able to get back in there because my the gym that's uh, right around the corner from my house that I, I used to go to pre COVID, uh, obviously has been shut down because you can't have anyone indoors right now in Jersey. So they just took all of their gym equipment and basically put it in the parking lot and boxed it all off. And now they let people come by uh, via appointment for like an hour a day or something like that. So I've been taking advantage of that, getting a chance to go back out there. But yeah. Haircuts done. Been going to a new barber, which I've enjoyed. I know I was talking to you guys about that because I used to go to like this fancy ass salon where it was like you would go and and you get like basically a back massage when you're there and they like scrub the hell out of your hair. And it's like, don't get me wrong. It was like treating your head like it's a Rolls Royce. I mean, it was freaking awesome. But when I'm dropping like 50 and 60 dollars for a haircut to like get a trim, I was like, I feel like this is a little extreme. So I tried to like find some barbers and a lot of the ones I was looking up were like really old dude barbers like where it was a bunch of like old guys cutting your hair and after like the first couple times you go they like stop really caring and they just basically take whatever your hair looks like and just shorten it. And I'm like that's not really what I want. So I found this one around the corner from my house that uh, this like 30 year old guy started it and runs it. He's like a young dude does like young hip haircuts and uh, I've, I've been loving it man. I've been loving every second of it. So so that was a look into the day when training camped over because it's like what the hell are you going to do like there's so much 
Training camp, like, when camp starts, what people don't realize, it's, like, every single day, and it eats up such a huge portion of your day, you can't really do anything. So, with this being the first real day off was when I, I knocked out all these uh, these errands, and obviously you guys came along for the ride. <laughs> Next time, I'll just FaceTime you the whole time so we can get video proof of everything that's happening, too. Yeah, we'll, we'll drop in some sound and audio into the show. That'll be good. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get back to the Jets, and we're going to, through, through training camp here, we're going to each week pick an MVP of the week for training camp. And there was actually some good contenders uh, along the way from the show we did earlier in the week and then throughout midweek to now. Um, but we're going with Marcus May, I think, for the overall. Because, I mean, it's in your story up on The Athletic right now, Connor. The thing about Marcus May right in week one was that every day there was something. Yeah, and and I think what's, what's fascinating to me about Marcus May is that I kind of viewed him – very similar to how I believe a lot of other people viewed Marcus May. And and that's when he was drafted, he was kind of always second fiddle to Jamal Adams because Jamal Adams came in here and Jamal's the big voice and the dominating personality and the guy that, that demands the attention and wants the spotlight and, and kind of commandeers it from anyone else who might even think about having it. It's always Jamal, Jamal, Jamal. And and Jamal is an unbelievable football player. I mean, you saw what he could do on the field, especially when he's kind of got that Troy Palomalu ability to freelance and make plays but I think what would always kind of got lost in Jamal Adams dominance is that he's not allowed that freedom that he had on the Jets defense if Marcus May isn't there because Marcus May has played for the last three seasons the deep center field role for the Jets he was the guy that 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 sat back there didn't let anything get over top of him didn't let anything go wrong um and and kind of was like the last form of defense for the Jets. And and because he was back there commanding that deep secondary, not letting anyone get by him and, and doing kind of the dirty work, it allowed Jamal to have that freelancing, run around the line, do whatever he kind of wanted to do and try to make plays. But if if Marcus isn't back there doing what he's doing, Jamal can't do what he's doing. And and unfortunately, Marcus's role came at the expense of statistics. And that's why you look like his 16 game average the last two years I calculated in one of the stories for the Jets it's like 72 tackles one interception like six and a half pass breakups like that's not eye-popping but you look at the statistics he's allowed two total touchdowns in his last 22 games quarterbacks have passer ratings under 74 in both of those two seasons when throwing his way so he's been doing his job even if doing his job means not necessarily compiling these eye-popping numbers that Jamal Adams did with Jamal Adams gone, and, and Jamal Adams now in Seattle, the Jets have basically handed that role that Jamal was playing and given it to Marcus May and said, you know what? We're now going to use you in man coverage. You know what? We're going to bring you on blitzes. You know what? You're going to be lining up near the line of scrimmage. You're going to be in that linebacker role. You're going to be playing back. And what we've seen throughout these first six training camp practices for the Jets is that Marcus May isn't just capable of doing those things. He's capable of dominating in that same role. I mean, it's like I said, and like you kind of talked about leading into this segment, every day he's doing something else. The one day it was the play where, where uh, he had locked down coverage on Chris Herndon and he rips the ball away from him. The other time is he picks up Josh Adams, who's a, a, a ridiculously fast running back, picks him out on a wheel route, runs with him down the field, and then swats the ball away when Sam Donald tries to go there. This past day we saw him come in off the edge, blitz, and get Sam Darnold for a no-doubt sack when he perfectly times it. And I was talking to Jordan Jenkins on the phone the other day about it, and he said, Connor, what people don't realize about Marcus, and it's because they haven't had a chance to really realize it, 
is how much he's capable of doing. He has this uncanny ability to, to, to basically line up in ways that you don't know if he's going to be in coverage, if he's going to blitz. If he is in coverage, is it man zone? Is he going to the middle zone? Is he going to the deep zone? You don't know, but he has the athleticism to show one thing and then do something completely different or show blitz and then somehow still manage to get all the way back deep. It's remarkable, I think, and, and really impressive to see how the Jets are both using Marcus this year now that Jamal Adams isn't in the picture, but also the way that Marcus is playing in that expanded role. And, and if he can stay healthy, which has been a little bit of an issue for him, he dealt with issue, he dealt with injuries his senior year at Florida, dealt with an injury late his rookie year, obviously dealt with an injury two years ago in 2018. If he can stay healthy and play a full 16-game season, I think Marcus May is going to have a massive season for the Jets if because he has stepped into that Jamal Adams role, and he is playing it admirably. Now he'll step in there, and you said he's doing a great job with that, but then somebody has to become him. So does is McDougal up to that task? Do they have that guy in the trade that's going to be able to take that Marcus May role that will allow May to be successful in the Jamal Adams role? Yeah, well, that's the thing is I don't think that that May is is – is just playing the Jamal. I mean, they're using him everywhere. Like, yeah. like May is still back deep. May is still near the line. They're just, they've basically just taken May from his first three years. What they told Marcus May to do was basically, you're going to be the deep safety. Don't let anyone go over top of you. You just don't, don't get beat deep. You're our last line of defense. Be the center fielder. That's what his role was. Now, Greg Williams, who historically has been one of the better coaches at, at coaching safeties, and, and historically you go and you look at his other defenses, there's always been a safety that seems to have had a career year under Greg Williams. He's gone from not only playing that deep safety spot, but now, like I said, they're asking him to play man. They're asking him to play zone near. They're asking him to be near the line of scrimmage. They're asking him to play a little linebacker. They're bringing him on blitzes. They're just doing so much more with him. But I think you're going to see the Jets now have – more of a traditional two safety package with just Marcus May doing more and then Bradley McDougal playing that other role. I don't think they're going to have like that traditional, okay, just your back deep safety, you're 20 yards beyond the line of scrimmage and just make sure no, I don't know if they're going to have that role, but yeah, I think it's more, they just have two safeties that are doing a lot more because the thing about Bradley McDougal, when the Jets acquired him via trade, uh, he was a guy that I made some calls on just to kind of figure out who the hell he was basically. And what I got back from a lot of people is that he's a guy that has Ability to play both free and strong safety. He's a guy that is good in man coverage. He's a guy that can play both back deep. He can play a little bit near the line of scrimmage, but you'll see. But I, I think that it, it's not so much as like Marcus is now Jamal Adams, and now they're looking for someone to play Marcus May. I think that Greg Williams' defense is just evolving to fit the players that he has because you're going to see Ashton Davis involved in a lot of three safety packages. Obviously, Bradley McDougal is the other starter next to Marcus May. And then Marcus May just right now is enjoying an expanded role. And and like I said, man, of, of all the players that have been in camp right now, offense, defense, special teams, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a player that is performing better than what May is. I mean, like I said, he's doing everything. He's making plays every day. And you can kind of see watching him on the sideline when he's not on the field. I think you see a guy that is really, really mentally checked in. And he just looks happy all the time. And it wasn't like he didn't look happy before. And it wasn't like he was always depressed because he had to play. Like, I'm not saying that at all. You could just tell that he's a guy that I think realizes he's finally going to be given the opportunity to reach his full potential. And he's going to be given the opportunity to showcase everything that he can do. And he realizes the potential that this season has for him. And I think that he just, he's upbeat. He's happy. He's excited for it. And you can kind of see a different player. And I think that mindset of knowing what this season can be for him 
is also helping translate to the field. And and I just think he's going to be a guy because if again, if he stays healthy and he's going to have a massive year. And I, I going back to like the actual question of like, is Bradley McDougal going to replace now Marcus May? I don't know. I just think you're going to see guys moving all around because the whole thing is that Marcus May is a hell of a center fielder too. So you don't want to just lose that. So I think you're just going to see Marcus doing a bunch of other things as opposed to having someone necessarily like replace him. Yeah, and that fits perfectly right into Greg Williams and what he wants to do, which is just confuse people. So he has guys that can do those different things and mix it up. And sometimes you have May back in center field and sometimes he comes up to the line. That's perfect for what Greg Williams is is doing, especially this year without, you know, the guys that they've lost uh, before the season. All right, so that kind of transitions us into – the question of who's got the edge so far in this training camp, offense or defense. And, you know, from everything we're seeing, it's not really close, right, Connor? I mean, the defense has so far dominated how I think generally that's that's the case early on, right? In a training camp is the defense has the edge, kind of like when you think about baseball, the pitchers have the edge before the hitters in, in spring training. Um, but is it is it more lopsided than normal from what you've seen? Um, no, I wouldn't say so because I think it's actually been a little bit more back a little bit. Okay. Defense is, I mean, look, the defense has the upper hand. I think absolutely. That's, that's the case mostly throughout early training camp. Like you said, that's the case every single year and that's no different this year. Uh, the one time the offense did get their ass kicked was, was the last time we were out there on, on, uh, on Thursday. I mean, that, that was just, that was ugly. Like that was, that wasn't pretty. (laughs) The offense had a, had a terrible day. I mean, you had, you had a, a, um, uh, a situation there where I, I didn't see receivers creating very much separation. I thought that was bad. Uh, the offensive line really couldn't block too much. That was bad. The offense just looked off. It was it was a day that that Thursday was absolutely dominated by the defense in, in every in every facet, uh, top, bottom, middle, everything. I mean, it was absolutely dominated. Um, where it was different though was that the other two practices, both before the Jets walkthrough and then after the Jets walkthrough. The offense kind of had it going, and the offense was making plays, and the offense was doing things. So I think that it has been a little bit back and forth. The defense definitely has a little bit of an edge, but I wouldn't be overly concerned because there's there's little things that – now, look, if we go into next week and, and the Jets return to practice on Saturday and, and they decide to do an inter-squad scrimmage and suddenly for the next three or four days – the offense is just getting pounded and, and and just the defense is just dominating and no one can block and no one's getting open. Well, then you start to say like, all right, is that a, is that an issue? Because the Jets defense, I think has a chance to be pretty decent this year, but they're not the 85 bears. They're not the 2000 Ravens. They're not, they're not one of these, uh, the, the 2000 and what was it? 16 Seahawks or whatever it was when the Seahawks defense was dominating with the Legion of boom. The Jets' defense ain't that good. So, I mean, if that's an issue, I mean, that's something that you might want to put a little bit of an asterisk down with and say, you know, all right, that's now Now we're suddenly we're getting into a little bit of a problem. Now we're suddenly getting a little concerned here with what the Jets' offense is doing. But I've actually been kind of impressed with the, the back and forth. I, I've been impressed with the fact that it seems like the offense makes some plays and the offense – seems to 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 get some on the defense but then the defense comes back and gets some and and the one thing that I'm I'm going to be very intrigued to watch is once both of these sides get healthy what do things look like because right now both sides are a little bit banged up I mean Denzel Mims was expected to have a pretty significant role for the Jets this year on offense he hasn't practiced in training camp Pierre Desir is the Jets starting cornerback he hasn't practiced. Brian Poole is the Jets' starting nickelback. He hasn't practiced since the first day. So 
the Jets haven't really had a chance to look at their complete defense against their complete offense. They haven't had a chance to look at even what one of those two complete units looks like. So I'm kind of curious once everyone gets healthy, once the Jets actually start going with full contact live drills, what this thing's going to look like. Uh, and when it does, that that's when I think you'll get a, a true tell of, of how this thing shakes out. Well, the other thing, too, right, just to follow up on that, um, when you think about the lines, I mean, it was obvious that the O-line would be behind the D-line just based on the fact that it's a whole new O-line. So certainly no surprise there. I think it's it's more intriguing to check out the, the receivers versus the secondary and how that's going because, right, I mean, we knew that that this D-line would have an advantage at least early on against an O-line with all these new pieces, um, a rookie, you know, at one of the tackles, since you're not allowed to tell us which one and, and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think, what, yeah, I mean, you're you're right. I mean, you would expect that, I think, and, and you've kind of seen a little bit of that with the defensive line um, having an advantage. But actually, I'll be honest with you, man, I think the offensive line's held up all right. And, and there's been moments where you see um, – issues that that kind of come up i think the run blocking is kind of the one area where i've i've been a little concerned i haven't really seen too many from the starting line the, the second team line has opened some holes against the second team defense but you kind of got to cry i crossed that one off as a, as a whatever because i mean you it, that's that's kind of it is what it is but the starting line struggled a little bit with run blocking it, they i don't think there have been too many holes for Le'Veon bell to run through not too many for frank gore i, I remember one decent run from Frank Gore, I think from like five or six yards out in a red zone drill where he was able to get into the end zone and, and spring himself free because he gave an emphatic spike of the football after he reached the end zone. Um, but the pass blocking has held up okay. The, aside from Thursday where, where, like I said, everything went wrong for the offense, the other two days that the pass blocking was was pretty decent. And and I think that Mekhi Becton, the battle between Mekhi Becton and Jordan Jenkins is fascinating to watch. And I know Jordan Jenkins isn't an elite level pass rusher by any stretch of the imagination, but you can kind of see that if Makai gets beat by one thing once, he sort of corrects himself and knows what to do next. And then Jordan Jenkins will get him with something else, but then he kind of learns and adapts to that. So watching those two go back and forth has been pretty fun. I actually talked to Jordan Jenkins about that the other day as well. And and he said he's been loving it and, and he, he genuinely likes Makai. I mean, they have a very good relationship. They're rep by the same agency. They're, they've known each other kind of leading into this. You know, Jordan was one of the guys that reached out once Makai got drafted. They've been going back and forth. In camp, their battles are ferocious and fierce, but it's all to make each other better. So uh, Jordan actually said that after every single practice, like they wrap up, they do their individual drills, they finish their stretching. After every single practice, Makai Becton goes up to Jordan Jenkins and basically says like, okay, what did you beat me with? How did you beat me with? And what could I have done in that situation to have it so you wouldn't have beaten me? And then Jordan's able to say, you know what? As an offensive tackle, if you did this, that would really have given me fits. And I w and then they kind of go back and forth. So Jordan said, you know, he it, 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 he kind of really hasn't seen a player so hungry to get better like Becton is. I mean, Becton wants to be great. He wants to be good. He has the mentality. He's buying in. He's trying everything he can to be one of the best players. And he knows, I think what's, what's great about Makai from a Jets perspective and why all of these players are so willing to help him get better. And, and you see it whenever he gets beaten, three veteran offensive linemen are around Mekhi Becton coaching him up. The, Frank Pollock's coaching him up. Alex Lewis coaching him up. Greg Van Roten coaching him up. George Font coaching him up is because Becton wants to be great. And he is willing to accept that there are things he doesn't know. And, and the thing is, is that he wants to know, what he doesn't know. So when he gets beaten, he doesn't really know why he's asking questions. He's not just chalking it up as, oh man, I guess I did this. Well, my athleticism will help me. No, he wants to know why he got beat. 
He wants to know how he can not get beat the next time, and then he's willing to go out there and, and fix it. So uh, I think that's one of the things that that has driven training camp to this point. One of the things that's been pretty impressive to watch through training camp to this point is that development on the offensive line and how they've been able to go up against this defensive line uh, that isn't too shabby and, and, and still be able to keep Sam Darnold upright for the most part aside from Thursday. It's fascinating from Beckton because you go back to the draft, right? And any reason, if he was going to drop in the draft anymore, it was going to be because because teams weren't sure if he was everything you just said, coachable and willing to the desire to be better and all of that stuff. And, and right away, the Jets are seeing that he was. I mean, it's, it's nothing but great news for this team going forward and, and having that anchor on the eventually, if not now, the left side of that offensive yeah, and line. The- all right, sure, the regular— Yeah, the, the one ahead. thing, though, that, that I think on Becton that is— I mean, it's not a huge, huge concern yet, and I don't think it'll be a huge— it might not be a huge concern moving forward. Um, I, I think that the weight, though, is one thing where there might be a little bit of an asterisk, and and that's where it's it's kind of a little concerning for me. It's, it's nothing to be to, to sound the alarms with yet, but it's just something to kind of make note of because— there were those questions come out of the draft of his size. And obviously he's big and everyone talks about how big yeah. he is. And everyone talks about how massive he is. And oh my God, he's the largest human being ever. And he is. I mean, you see the guy in pads. You were talking about that, Connor. Yeah, I'm episode. not the only one. You ask anyone to analyze <laughs> Mekhi Becton, they're all like, oh, he's a massive human being. It's like, who the hell cares if he's massive? Like, can he play football? But like, you see that. But there's also like the where he was coming out of college is they were like, well, was he too big? Is his weight too much of a concern? Because sometimes with these huge offensive linemen that are like these physically imposing imposing forces, they sometimes can never get their weight under control and their weight ends up becoming a detriment because suddenly they get too big. And then all of a sudden their, their knees start kind of giving out because of the weight. And they start having all of these issues because of their weight. Makai Becton was like, supposedly in the off season, we were talking about him and we talked to him after the draft and he was talking about his weight. He's like, no, you know, the issue was I wasn't eating enough. And then when I would work out, I was burning this and, and I've got it under control. So I was like, oh, okay, the guy's got his weight issue under control. But then he shows up to camp, and he's 370 pounds. And the 370 pounds is something that everyone's now saying that's too heavy. And no one will say the number that he has to get to yet other than just he's too heavy. And Frank Pollock came out and said directly, 370 is too heavy. And Mekhi Becton said, no, I'm not in the best shape of my life. So that's one where I'm like, all right, well, you knew you were coming into camp. You knew what time camp started. You said after the draft you had had your your workouts and, and your weight under control and you knew what your weight was supposed to be and you had figured it out with your what you were supposed to eat and how you were supposed to work out. But then you show up at 370 and everyone universally is saying, well, that's too big. And while they won't give what the body mass index is supposed to be or what his weight's supposed to be down to, they're all kind of in agreement that 370 is too high. So that is one that, that I think gets a little bit of an asterisk for me and a little bit of a, uh, I'm a little concerned with it. Um, not enough to sound the bells yet, but that's just something that that with him I would monitor going forward. It's not a, a, a work ethic thing. It's not a want thing. It's just one of those where weight is sometimes a, an issue for some of these really huge guys to, to, to deal with. And the fact that a lot of these people right now are saying he's too heavy, he's too heavy, he's too heavy. It, it's, it's just something to monitor moving forward. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he can, you know, change that as the season progresses or if it's something that you got to get to next off season and work on it. And hopefully without a pandemic, maybe it's easier. All right. Sure. The regular season is fun and 
all but only one thing can compare to the excitement of basketball's playoffs, and that is having skin in the game. With DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, basketball has made its way through the regular season. Now it's time to crown a champion, and DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you in the center of the action to celebrate basketball's first round of the playoffs, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you an amazing free bet offer for every day that you bet at least $20 on basketball. DraftKings Sportsbook will give you a $10 free bet. Head to the app right now and check out all that they have to offer, including player props, quarter-by-quarter betting, and so much more. Plus, don't forget about hockey's playoffs. DraftKings Sportsbook is offering great odds and promotions all week long to help you make it rain DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code QUICK when you sign up. For a limited time, all users can get a $10 free bet when placing a bet of $20 or more on all first-round playoff action. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out by offering a $10 free bet when placing a bet of $20-plus on all first-round playoff action. Again, that's promo code QUICK only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. What do you think? Like a, an eight on that one? Eight and a half? Uh, I thought it was nine. I thought you did pretty well there, man. I, it's actually, I didn't even realize you were going into the read until I was like, "Huh, that's a well, weird that's intro." Key, right? And then I heard so like, nobody, has, nobody can hit those. Like, oh, there we go. Look at that. Yeah. Much better. You clearly off the of vacation. You can't let people now. hit the fast forward button. You got to get the ad in there before you get them. Smart man. Smart radio <laughs> logic. That's smart. <laughs> All right, let's switch things over a little bit. A lot on the defense early on, but um, but we have to talk about Sam Darnold because it's a Jets podcast, and you got to check in on the quarterback <laughs> yeah. and the the key to the franchise. And uh, the story you had up this week, Connor, the word used by you and others was faster, that yeah. he's faster. And a lot of that is because, and it makes sense, he's been in this offense now. He knows the offense. He had a full year or most of a year last year through it. It's the same coordinator back in, in Andrew Gates running things again. And he's getting to that comfort level where he knows the offense and doesn't have to think about it, right? Yeah, and, and I think that's like everyone kept saying that, right? Like, and and that was actually the lead that I went with is that is that everyone, or actually I mentioned it later on in the story, the lead. I think I went with a play because I love I love like the description leads. I just think it's kind of cool. Um, but the one thing that everyone kept saying was like he's faster, he's faster. Everything's happening faster for Sam. Everything's happening faster. It's like goddamn man because like. You know, the one thing as reporters and, and journalists you always you, you always learn is, like, stay away from the cliches. And playing faster is, like, the biggest football cliche ever. And, like, honestly, it's all I, for me, I always thought it was, like, a, an, an escape term that people would always just kind of use, like, oh, he's playing faster when they don't really want to answer the question. And it wasn't until we actually talked to Sam that he described what playing faster means to him. And, and, it, and it all made sense. And for me, it was like, you know what? There it is. Like, that's where you see him starting to take that next step as a quarterback. And the way that he described it, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, is that when he steps to the line now, when he steps to the line as a quarterback, he's not thinking anymore. And that he can already, the way that he phrased, the way that he put it was that he already can see the play when he steps to the line. And because he's so now comfortable within this scheme and he knows this offense basically like the back of his hand now, you're starting to see a quarterback that when he gets to the line, He's not thinking about what he has to do. He's thinking about the defense. So last year, look, Adam Gase's scheme is not easy. It's, it's, it's a complicated one. It's probably one of the reasons why Peyton Manning loved it so much is because it challenged him. 
So when Sam was getting to the line in training camp last year, when Sam was getting to the line week one against the Bills, when Sam was getting to the line after he missed a month with Mono, he was going there and he wasn't necessarily thinking about what the defense was about to do to counteract the offense. He was thinking about, okay, what what are the wide receivers doing? Okay, what am I supposed to do? Okay, how am I supposed to shift this formation? Okay, should I adjust the protection? Okay, should I do this? So he was thinking so much about what the offense had to do around him that his thought after all of that was, okay, what's the defense? Now that he's been in it for a full year, now that he's had a full off season to continue to get comfortable with it, now that he's through into this training camp, he's not coming to the line worried about any of that offense of mumbo jumbo because he just knows it. It's it's as if I were to ask you in in your you know say you the way that I've always like described it to like people that work in other forces. I was like, all right, well, when you go to work and and how do you answer an email? Like how would you? You're like I, I don't need to think about answering an email. It's just how I answer an email with work. Or if you're in a in a trade. And it's like, okay, well, how do you change this electrical system? You're like, I don't need to. I've done this a billion times. That's where Sam now is on this offense. He doesn't need to think about what he has to do on offense. He just knows it. You know, Gase calls a play, and he's like, okay, fine, we're good. I already know how to do it. So when he gets to the line, all of that is second nature to him. So now he's just thinking about, okay, what's the defense potentially going to do? And now that's the next level thinking. That's the second tier of this offense. That's what Adam Gase was talking about all of last year that as he gets more comfortable, he's going to start next level thinking. He's going to start next level. He's going to start next level. That's what Sam is at right now. And you're starting to see it in practices. And I don't know how to describe it because it's not like he's going out there and completing, uh, you know, 15 to 16 passes for 300 yards in practice and seven touchdowns. You know, it's not like that. It's not like he's putting these highlight reel throws together like Pat Mahomes does where it's a no-look pass or he's throwing behind his back or he's bombing it. Like even Josh Allen could. 80 or 85 yards down the field. That's not what you're seeing. It's just when Sam Darnold and the offense are rolling and when you're seeing some of these touchdown passes that he's throwing or even these completions, like a little 10-yard one that he had to Jamison Crowder, I think on the first or second day of practice, or no, it was the indoor practice that the Jets had where we we watched it on the big screen uh, in the media room. There was a play there where Jamison Crowder ran like an out from the left side of the formation, came around, had a safety over top, a linebacker to his right and a corner to the left. The Jets were running a zone defense. And Sam just hit him with it. And it was like, it was a first down. It was a move the chains first down. It was like an eight-yard completion, maybe nine and a half yards. The Jets had already gained like three yards on a run play, and then Sam hit him for that. It's not going to like show up on any highlights, but the way in which that play happened and the speed in which it happened and the way that there was no, it, it just it just was like bang, bang. It was Sam took snap, look left, look right, boom, hit Crowder first down, get to the line, call another play. It was so quick that it was like, man, he just looks so comfortable. And I think you're starting to see Sam evolve as a quarterback because of that comfortability within Adam Gase's team. I mean, he called um, Connor McGovern talked about it when he did an interview with the team website about how Sam uh, called a practice last or called a meeting with the team last Saturday and basically stressed to them how they need to start winning football games, that this is a time when they need to turn the corner. They need to start winning football games. There was a play where I've never seen this from Darnold before on Thursday, where when everything's going wrong with the offense, like everything's going wrong. And the Jets were were running a a drive the ball down the field drill in a two minute situation, and Darnold I think there was like pressure from the defense on a third and five with like a minute and a half half left. Darnold rolled around the outside, sprinted up the sideline, picked up like 25, 30 yards, something like that. The defense was screaming and yelling that you know we had a sack, we had a sack, we had a sack. Darnold as he's running up the sideline is talking to the defense, saying nope, nope, got it. 
He comes around from the back, starts running back after the whistle's bone, low, blow, uh, running back to the huddle, still playfully talking to the defense. Someone on the defensive line yelled, you know we got you, Sam. We know you got we got you, Sam. And he turned around and threw like an expli- a joking expletive at the defender to like curse him off and say like, hell no, you didn't get me. I got the first down. That's like, that I never saw from Sam. And I've covered every single one of his practices. I've never seen him do that before. Like, he's always kind of been like, you know, he's out there playing quarterback. And, and, you know, he'll be, when he does something good, you'll give a fist pump or he'll, you know, clap and he'll slap players on the butt. And he'll start, you know, he'll talk to the offense and slap guys' hands. And you could tell he was like a silent Eli Manning-like leader. This is the first time I've really seen him start to become vocal and look like he's really having fun out there. Like, like you know, when you're having fun with your friends and, and you're doing whatever, you start talking shit to them. Like, you know, like, yeah, everyone does. It. Like, whether you're you're out golfing or you're playing video games or even you're playing beer pong. Like, whatever you're doing with your friends, you start talking crap to them. Like, that's now what Sam's doing when he's playing football. And I think that that goes to him just being, A, comfortable in his role as a quarterback. B, comfortable in his role as a leader on this team. C, really starting to come into his own in in his own ability and that he's not thinking anymore so he's able to just kind of know what he's supposed to do and know what he's supposed to and and when you start doing that is when you really start to see his personality come out and look I've I've always said I don't know what kind of year Sam Darnold's going to have I I don't know if this is going to be a huge breakout season if he's going to be a borderline Pro Bowl quarterback all pro I don't really know but you can tell that this year more so than the other years he's truly himself and he's comfortable in his own skin he's comfortable in what he's supposed to do he's comfortable with Adam Gase he's comfortable with the players around him and I think you're starting to see everything really come together for him as a result you mentioned Peyton Manning like not being that guy being right the the quiet guy the the guys I think of that way that ultra competitive on the field like fieriness you think of like Brady right and Aaron Rodgers and guys like that 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 in practice would give crap back to their own defense and and talk smack like that and I think a young team like the Jets, I think that sort of fire really plays, yeah. really plays well, um, and it's going to be good for this team. I think it's scary to think at this point that he's one of the longest tenured guys yeah. on this roster. It goes back to to the drafting, right, oh, and, and what this team's done over the yeah. years. And I like I don't I, I, the thing is is like I don't think he'll ever be that. Like there's there's a couple clips NFL NFL uh, films has like the clips of Pat Mahomes on like the sideline where his team's down and he's like screaming and yelling and like pumping. I don't know if Sam's ever going to be that. Like, I, I don't think that's him. And he even said to us, like when we asked him about that meeting that he called, he goes, yeah, he goes, you know, that's not really my style. Like I'm not the hooting and hollering rah, rah. Like he'll leave that to Steve McClendon. You know, I, I don't think Sam is ever going to be the guy like Michael Strahan was for the Giants yelling, stomp him out before the Super Bowl. Like, that's not that's not Sam. Like, he's still California cool. But I think seeing him even playfully throw jabs at his at his teammates and, and take that kind of a stance, I think that's where you're starting to really see him come into his own. And and he's going to find that, that happy ground where he is both kind of the leader – letting other people be the real rah-rah guys. But then when something needs to be said, he's going to be the one to say it. And I, I think that's what he really needs to get to is that you don't need him to be what Pat Mahomes was screaming and yelling. You don't need him to be Aaron Rodgers. You don't need him to be uh, Peyton Manning, who was much more vocal than Eli was. But you also don't need him to be as passive as Eli Manning was. I think that Sam just needs to get to the point where when something needs to be said, he's not afraid to say it. And I think that this year – that's what it's getting to. And and the one thing I always go back to, and, and this goes to, to Jamal Adams, and I remember talking to players uh, about Jamal Adams and, and about how, I, I mean, 
when he was at practice, like the guy never shut the hell up. Like he was just constantly screaming and constantly yelling. And Brandon Marshall was a little bit like this as well, where he was like constantly screaming and constantly yelling. And sometimes when you never shut up, it comes off as a little phony and that you're just talking because you think something needs to be said. And you're just talking because honestly, in Jamal's case, it kind of seems like he just likes to hear his own voice. And I know that after he was gone, I talked to a couple players, both guys that were currently on the Jets and guys that had uh, played with the Jets before previously and were now gone. And I asked him about Jamal and they said, yeah, he's an unbelievable football player. I was like, but as a leader, I was like, you know what? And one, the one thing one person told me is they go, you listen sometimes with one ear. And what that means is like the guy's constantly talking that you start to, to because he's constantly yapping, you kind of tone, tone him out sometimes. With Everybody has the friend like that. Exactly. You know what I mean? yeah, the guy I'm that probably the that never friend. never shuts yes, up. For, and, yeah. In my friend group, that's me. Um, but I think that with Sam, what's going to be so important is that you want to get Darnold to the point, and I think that he's there this year, that he doesn't have to always talk. He's not going to be the rah-rah guy. He's not going to be screaming and yelling, stomping his feet. But when he talks and when he speaks up, and when he kind of raises his hand and say, yo, dudes, I got something to say. Or as he would say, hey, guys, super duper teammates, I got something to say right now. Everyone listens. And it's because when Sam feels the need to talk and Sam feels the need to say something because he doesn't do it all the time, everyone in that locker room, all 52 other players and the other 10 or so that are on the practice squad are going to turn their heads and go, whoa, and say, all right, if Sam is saying something, we need to listen. And I think he's starting to command that respect. And he'll especially command that respect if his play on the field starts matching that and he really starts taking that next step to be a franchise quarterback. That's when you really see him come into his own. All right, we have some great questions um, coming in. And I was going to kind of transition to to Perryman and what he's done to impress so far. And we have a question about that too. So let's just jump right into the questions. Thanks for everybody for participating. Chris Ortiz says, is this Perryman... Y'all something to buy into or a solid recover receiver playing against corners that lack a true vet. So basically, is he as good as he's looked with, what, 250-plus yard touchdowns, or is he just taking advantage of the injuries? Uh, no, I'll be honest with you. I, I've been wildly impressed with Perryman. And, yeah. and look, I, I don't think he, he's not Julio Jones. I mean, he's not Odell Beckham. He's not a top-10 receiver in the NFL. But I think that he's showing that he can be a, a, a definitive starting wide receiver. And I think that he's showing that he's got some of the game-breaking ability that Darnold talked about where, look, you can't coach 4-2, 4-3 speed. And that's certainly what Perryman still has. So what I've been really impressed with with him is is that the Jets seemingly keep throwing stuff at him. And Gase alluded to this when we talked to him is that the Jets keep throwing stuff at him and he just keeps doing it. And and when they signed Perriman, my initial thought was like, okay, they got another deep threat to replace Robbie. And that's really all he's going to be is that now they have the deep threat to replace Anderson because that's kind of all he did in Tampa. And that's all he tried to do with the, the Ravens. And that's all he did with the Browns is that he was just the deep threat and they threw him out there because he was faster than everyone told him run deep and we'll try to get you open with the Jets. He's running the route tree. I mean, he ran a, a, a slip screen yesterday with the Jets. The, they, I don't think he's run a slip screen in his career. And they threw a slip screen to him. And he caught it, and he picked up seven or eight yards. He's running curls. He's running ins. The 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 80-yard touchdown that he had was on, like, a stutter step slant where he left Arthur Mollette in the dirt with an, a, a ridiculous route off the line. And then, obviously, the, the touchdown that he had in the indoor practice was a, corner, a deep corner route, which is kind of what he's known to do. The Jets are... are 
asking him to do everything and seeing what he can't do. And then they'll take that out of the playbook and not ask me to do it again. But they haven't found anything that he can't do yet. And I think that that he's looking very good. And if it's not Marcus May and if it's not Chris Herndon, the next most impressive player at camp, I truly believe, is Brashad Perryman. And he's starting to do things that I think, you know, I, I, here's here's a, I, going back to what we were talking about before. You know how I said, like, Marcus May just seems like he's got a different, like, he's got a, he's got a little extra st- pep in his step. And you can kind of has an extra pep in his step because he realizes the potential that he, that this season has. When we talked to Brashad Perryman early in camp, he was asked by another reporter, when was the last time you worked entirely with the first team? And he took a pause and he was like, well, with the Bucks, I kind of worked with the first team, but I was the number three receiver. So I was in like the number, I was with the first team all the time in three receiver sets. And the reporter goes, no, no, no. I mean, when was the last time you were like an offense's number one receiver and you were practicing as the number one receiver? And he took another pause and he goes, I don't, I don't think I've ever worked as a number one receiver before because in Baltimore, yeah, he was a first round pick, but he never worked to that state with the Browns. He never worked to that state with the, with the uh, Buccaneers. He was always behind Godwin and he was behind Evans with the jets. He's being given an opportunity to be the number one guy, the go-to receiver, Sam Darnold's top target, the number one, the bona fide, undoubted number one. He's being given that opportunity to show that he is that guy. And you're now seeing, I think, him say, F yeah, man. Like, let's go. Like, I'm this team's number one receiver. Like, I can be a number one receiver. And you're starting to see him do all these other things, which is why I've I've been asked a ton on, like, Twitter. Like, oh, you know, can Perryman replace Robbie Anderson? Can Perryman replace Robbie Anderson? I don't know if Perryman is as good of a receiver as Robbie Anderson is because Robbie, when Robbie is mentally checked in, you can see how he goes and attacks the ball at its highest point. I mean, you can see him do things that some guys can't. I don't know if he's that. But what you're going to get with Perryman that you do not get all the time with Robbie is effort. Where when Perryman's on that field, he's going to be giving you 100% whether he is the number one option, the number two option, the number three option, or the number four option. Because he realizes now in his fourth, fifth season that these opportunities don't come around all the time. Where Robbie has never realized that because Robbie's kind of always been involved in the Jets offense the last two, two and a half years. He's been the number one guy. He's kind of taken these opportunities for granted. That's not what Brashad Perryman is doing because he's been in the league four or five years, and this is the first time he's been considered a number one receiver for an offense. So he's going hard as a mother on every single damn play where that 50-yard touchdown that he caught when the Jets had the indoor practice, which I think was last Friday maybe or, or whenever that practice was, or maybe it was on the weekend. I can't remember the exact day. He was the third op- option on offense. That he was not the number one option. He was the third option. With Robbie, I remember talking to someone who said if Robbie is not the number one option on the play, you're lucky to get 50% effort from him. That he's just kind of out there going through the motions because he knows the ball's not coming his way, so he doesn't give a damn. Perryman was the number three option on that play, went hard as hell, and Sam turned around after going through one not there, two not there, three not there. Perryman's open on the corner route and hit him for a touchdown over uh, Bradley McDougald. You're going to get effort from Perryman that you were never going to get from Robbie. And I think it's going to set the stage for, for a potentially big year. Again, I don't think he's a hundred catch 1500 yard, 12 touchdown guy, but I think he can absolutely be absolutely be a thousand yard receiver within this jets offense. All right. So we got a question from Richard. Do you see the jets using more two or three tight end sets with Herndon Griffin and Wesco? 
I didn't even finish reading the question, Connor. Sorry, let Marissa finish. <laughs> She's not going to become an influencer if she doesn't get. That's to true. And follow Marissa. Hashtag follow Marissa. We got to get her. We got to get her to like twenty thousand followers so she can start being an influencer for us. Okay, I'll start that again. Do you see the Jets using more two or three tight end sets with Herndon, Griffin, and Wesco with all the wide receiver injuries, or will Gase stick to his three wide receiver sets? Uh, no, I think, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely going to see multiple, multiple sets. And I, I actually asked Gase about this earlier at like the first or second time we talked to him in training camp. And it was about like, Oh, could you, would you use like Chris Herndon at receiver? And he's like, Oh, I, I, we're not converting him to a receiver. I think he was like, and like, are you going to convert Chris Herndon to wide receiver? And he was like, no, we're not converting Chris Herndon to wide receiver. I haven't even really seen him play tight end. It's like, okay, whatever. Like, that's not what the question was, was that are you going to use Herndon basically not at a tight end position? And I think you're going to see that a lot this year, where you will have, once Ryan Griffin's healthy and off the pup list, you'll see Ryan Griffin playing that traditional tight end position, and then you'll see Chris Herndon in the slot. You'll see him split wide. You'll see all those funky things. And and Herndon, I don't think, has the receiving ability that like a Travis Kelsey has or a Zach Ertz has. But he's such a big physically imposing player that he's too physical for corners. And he is too quick for linebackers and safeties. And if his route running takes that next step and that next level, and he's super, super mentally checked in now because he missed last season with an injury, I think you could see him really with that effort elevate his play even more. So, um, yeah, to to answer the question directly, absolutely. I, I see a lot of multiple tight end sets. I think the Jets can mask a lot of their receiver issues by using Herndon split wide and in the slot and all these different roles. And then the Ryan Griffin X factor. This is a guy who caught five touchdowns and developed a pretty impressive chemistry with Sam Darnold last year. He's a guy that can step in and play that traditional tight end spot where you're still going to see, quote unquote, like three wide, four wide packages. But it wouldn't surprise me if one of those wideouts is just Chris Herndon. And we've seen that in camp so far. Yeah. Thanks to John Hanley for this one, because I completely meant to earlier in the podcast get to Quinnen Williams and what he's been doing. So John Hanley has that one covered. He's basically just saying, you know, does he look like the early draft pick that he's supposed to be, or does he look more like he looked last year? Um, he's he's made two flash plays, and and the first one, uh, both actually very similar, where he just it was the very first practice, very first uh, training camp practice, and then the last one on on uh, Thursday, and he did the same exact thing both plays. He got into the backfield basically before Sam Darnold could hand the ball off, and and he made the tackle both times on one time on Le'Veon Bell in the first practice, second time on Frank Gore, where he wrapped him up for a two or three yard loss, and you saw the speed and the athleticism and the quickness where he was able to dart and jart right inside and make the play. Those are kind of the two times that I've really noticed Quinn and Williams, though. I haven't noticed him on other plays. I haven't really noticed him in the backfield too much. I've seen Jordan Jenkins get back there. I've seen Terrell Basham get back there. Uh, I haven't seen too much of Quinn and Williams in the backfield. Now, obviously, we don't have the luxury of uh, replay with training camp practice. It's not like I've got the all 22 that I can fire up and watch Quinn and Williams on every single play and say like, oh, this is a guy that clearly is dominating. And this is, oh man, you know, he look how quickly he was in the backfield here. Or he would have blown this up. Or yeah, actually he did get to the quarterback, but he pulled up because you can't hit him. You also don't have the luxury of training or preseason games where I would be able to watch that. And you would be able to see him against other competition. I would say that, that Quinnen is as confident as I've ever heard a player. I mean, we talked to him this past week and he is fully locked in. I mean, there were times last year where he would talk to the media and he kind of sounded depressed 
he sounded like a guy that had a muzzle on him in terms of like the you know he he was told not to talk so he wasn't going to talk he's fully willing to come out now and say exactly what he feels and he called himself an animal and he's ready to be a monster and he's ready to dominate i mean he he only weighs like six pounds less he's 297 now when he was 303 last year but his body mass and his muscle percentage is so much or fat percentage is so much lower than what it was last year that he feels he is ready for a massive season and i think as he put it he's ready to be the player the jets drafted him to be and and i think when you have a player that obviously has that much athleticism that much athletic ability and that much talent and then you have the mental part that comes into play as well i think that's when you see a guy really take over and and i'm not ready to say he's he's willing to have this massive unbelievable season but I think you will see a better Quinn Williams in 2020 than you saw in 2019. The question mark, and it's something that we're going to watch all throughout this year, and it's something we're going to talk about all throughout this year, is just how much better is he going to be? Is he going to be a guy like Leonard Williams, who develops into a pretty good football player but never takes that next step to be an all-pro Pro Bowl guy? Or is he going to be the guy that takes the next step and becomes an all-pro Pro Bowl guy? We don't really know that yet. I haven't seen enough to say, like, uh, this is probably the best way to put it. I have not seen enough out of Quinn and Williams this year to feel that he's going to have a season like I feel right now about Marcus May. Like what I've seen from Marcus May this year makes me think this guy's going to have a massive year. I haven't seen that from Quinn and Williams. Quinn and Williams looks better than he did last season right now, but he doesn't yet. He hasn't shown enough yet to make me say like this guy's going to have a huge year, but I can tell you he certainly believes he will. All right, back to the offense. You touched on the running backs a little earlier. Bulldog81 on YouTube wants to know, how have the running backs behind Le'Veon looked? Who's in the spot for the second running back? Uh, right now, it's Frank Gore. So Frank Gore right now is the number two running back. Um, previously, it was Josh Adams working as number three, but it looks like uh, P. Ryan is starting to work in front of him. Um, but I think that it's it's pretty obvious that the Jets' one-two running back rotation right now is Bell one and then Gore number two. And, and you know, everyone always talks about how Frank Gore is like the ageless wonder and you can't tell that he's like a billion years old and he's played in the NFL since like the Jurassic period. Like everyone always says this, but watching him practice now, like the guy does not look like somebody who's been in the NFL that long. I mean, he looks strong. He looks physical. There's a couple highlights the Jets have even posted on their Instagram account or I'm sorry, Twitter account where you can see him lowering his shoulder and pounding guys and taking guys on and blowing them back. And he still looks like he has speed. He still obviously has uh, reliable hands out of the backfield where Frank Gore looks really good. Like he looks like a guy who can still play in the NFL. And I think he's going to be a really good option behind Le'Veon Bell. And and then obviously they have P Ryan behind him to kind of work in and, and be the Frank Gore of the future. But um, right now the, the rotation is pretty clear. It's Bell one uh, Gore two, and then P Ryan and Adams are rotating at three. All right, sticking to or back to the defense here as we bounce back and forth um, to the linebackers. This one from Vitor Paiva. Will Avery be healthy for week one? Does the team value Blake Cashman and Neville Hewitt over Patrick on Wasser? Did I just butcher that name? <laughs> Patrick. That's what, what, uh, yeah, we're going to call him Awusnar. Awusnar. Oh, there you go. I finally asked some other guys how to say it. I think it's Awusnar. It's, it doesn't, I, okay. Apparently, it's not it's not phonetic like it's not it doesn't sound like it's spelled it's like something else but um my my apologies yeah you're you're fine Patrick um I think the once Avery Williamson's healthy and I think he'll be ready for week one I think he'll be healthy enough and ready for week one where where he'll be the starting Mike linebacker I think the Jets are then going to rotate next to him and what you'll see is you'll have 
Um, Neville Hewitt, I think, in there on pat on on running situations because Hewitt is a bulldozer. Where he's a guy that's physical. He's really good against the run. He's great when he lowers his shoulder and can take on a hit and he packs a punch. I mean, he he does. The guy hits like a box of rocks. I mean, he can knock somebody on their ass. It's 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 impressive watching that guy hit people. Um, then in passing situations on third down, I think you're going to see Blake Cashman come in and. You know, Cashman is a ridiculous athlete. You can go and Google on his his, uh, combine numbers and you see what kind of athlete he was. If it was not for injuries, the guy probably would have been a first or a second round pick. It's just he had so many shoulder issues at Minnesota that teams didn't think they could trust him. And if you look at what happened his rookie year, there's a reason for that. He had another shoulder issue that sidelined him for the entire or for the vast majority of the season once he got hurt. The Jets, though, love him, and he is undeniably their most athletic player. And you're seeing him now play with James Burgess dealing with that lower back issue. You're seeing Cashman fill in and show that he can also be a first and second down linebacker in addition to third down. But when everyone's healthy and when everyone's rocking and rolling, I think you'll see a rotation. And and I know that the Adam Gase kind of left this open and Greg Williams left it open, whether they would go with two set starters or if they want to rotate. I think ultimately what the Jets are going to do is they're going to rotate. And you'll have Avery Williamson and Neville Hewitt in, pa- in uh, running situations, and you'll have uh, Avery Williamson and Blake Cashman in passing situations because Cashman is a good player. I mean, I think the Jets really did find something there in their fifth-round pick from last year. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy, and right now that's obviously the biggest question. All right, we'll end on this one, Connor. Socrates Johnson noticed the new haircut. He says, Connor, you handsome <laughs> SOB. My man, my man. I like it. I like it. My man. All right. That's going to do it. Thanks for everybody for joining in and and with the great questions. We love doing these live on YouTube. Hopefully you're enjoying it too. Um, Subscribe to the YouTube channel and also subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's on Apple or Spotify. It helps us out a lot. So rate and review us as well if you get a chance and check out all the great coverage of training camp across all of our podcasts and the writing on The Athletic. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic yet, or if you have a friend who needs one, use theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast. You can save 40% off a one-year subscription. And of course, go to Twitter, follow Connor if you aren't, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. And most importantly, Marissa is at Marissa <laughs> underscore Morris. You got to get those numbers up. For the she, how many did you pick up after uh, last week, Marissa? You, I thought I know you're climbing. A lot. You're climbing up. I am not trying to be an influencer. Okay, let's just make that very clear. <laughs> I heard she's already but practicing the Instagram posts of like, I swear this is not a paid ad, but I I tried out this brand new and then inserts a product. She's gonna officially be sponsored by no. Target and Kohl's. No, no, but I appreciate all the follows, and I will post a lot of the cool podcasts that the Athletic has to offer. So there we go. I promise I'll make my follow worth it. <laughs> right now, Marissa is more of a retweeter, but we'll yeah. we'll fix that. We'll get her going. <laughs> Original content coming soon. We're gonna get hot takes coming right. too from Marissa, like just <laughs> scolding hot takes. All right, thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll be back with you soon. More from Training Camp 2020 in the New York. Kids.